0: Well, since Valentine's Day, we've been in this series called It's Complicated. And the the truth is from the modern day prophet, Mr. Fred Rogers, he said, life is deep and simple, but society wants to make life shallow and complicated. God designed your life to be deep and yet simple, but yet culture wants to add on to things outside of seeing through your shame and your guilt and your regrets and seeing through the the lens of how you were raised or how you weren't raised. And we can create all kinds of complexity in our relationships. It is complicated, but it doesn't have to be. And so today we put the bookend on our series. We have talked about all the different elements from parenting to um, looking in the, the, the man in the mirror first before we ever work on anybody else. And I've started every week and those that I've had speak with me have started every week saying hundreds of different relationships in the room. All kinds of different relationships, how you apply the word that we're talking about today will be tailored to fit your specification. Don't just overlay this where, well, if this is about marriage, this doesn't apply because I'm not married. All of these truths can be applied and tailored to fit your relationships because all of you have Relationships, some of them are complicated and God wants to help. They are an unbelievable source of happiness and contentment. They also can be a crazy source of strife and frustration and fights. And, and if you have not been joining us for these uh, messages, I invite you to, to check out the podcast or you can go to Timber Creek Church and watch uh, from the entire archive of all the messages. Today, uh, we're gonna jump right in with our finality of this series. Um, have you ever driven by a school and there's recess going along on the playground and you see kids uh, playing, whether it's from the tetherball to the basketball to kickball to the monkey bars to the, the merry-go-round, you, you, you've seen kids playing. Anybody ever seen that? Or you, you go through the park and you see that, or you look in your backyard and you see your kids playing. You can tell a major difference between kids that are playing kickball just to play kickball and those that are playing for keeps, those that are playing to win, those that are keeping score. You can go by one of our parks and one of our locations and you can see a group of guys shooting hoops and you can tell the difference between just shooting hoops and just kinda uh, hanging out versus playing three on three, I will kill you if you foul me again kind of basketball. Like it's make it, take it. No, that hit the rim. You got to take it back court. Like, like you, there are rules, everybody. And if you're going to play to win, I mean, as kids, we would go to our friend's house right up the street when we lived in Paola, Kansas. And we would, we would take off the jacket and set it here and take off the hat and set it there. And we would even take our, our heel and kind of drag it through the grass to make the goal line. And we'd play tackle football in the back of John and Justin Smale's house. And we would play hard and we played, to, we played to win. If there was no goal line, we didn't know if we were scoring. If we weren't scoring, we weren't winning. And so what I want to say to you about relationships, what I want to say to you about life, about telling the difference between the intensity of just, just kind of life happening to you or you being intentional with life, write it down in your notes. No goal equals no goal. Win. And we know that when it comes to basketball. Watching one of the games last night with 2.9 seconds left and ORU is down by two points against Arkansas and they had to get it in. There was an intensity in that 2.9 seconds in order to get the ball from all the way down the other side of the court to get one last three point attempt to maybe win the game and it was and it bricked and they lost to the disappointment. No goal equals no win. If they were running around, you would lose interest if you didn't see the score. You would also lose interest if they were just running around back and forth with no basketball goal. Just running around, you're like, okay, all right. That's what I don't get about NASCAR. Just But even then, there's a finish line. There's a goal. No goal equals no end. So why is it that many people operate in their relationships with no true goal in mind? So that's a question I wanna start with today. What is the goal of relationships? Because there may be a goal for you and maybe a goal for me. Is there a universal God-given, God-ordained through the word of God, the moral compass for every decision we make, for every relationship we have? Is there a Christ-given goal for relationships? What is the goal? Well, you and I would probably say one of the main goals, right, of relationships is to complete me, you complete me. I give you one side of the, of the necklace that's got a broken heart, and it says best, and you give me a side of the broken heart, and it says friends, and every once in a while, we get together and we put it together, best friends. You complete me, and I want you to know that's what we call a lie, a lie. In week two, let me remind you that I said it like this. If you try to build intimacy with another person before you've gotten whole on your own, every single relationship will become an attempt to complete Yourself, And you wonder why they aren't meeting that need because that need in and of itself is not just their job to meet. We have to understand wholeness comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. Who I am and whose I am, a son or daughter of the King and it's my significance in him and what he paid for me to have that significance and that freedom and that love and that acceptance and that grace and that mercy that nobody else will do. They will fall Short of the ability to truly complete me. So, what's the goal of relationships? It's not to complete you. It's not to complete you. Here, here, here's the biblical goal. And now, now, this is gonna sound churchy, and this is gonna sound spiritual. So, my goal now is to not get you just to hear a spiritual statement, but for us to get handlebars on this thing. So we're gonna we're gonna kind of journey to the center of this concept, we're gonna add layer after layer after layer. We're gonna go a little deeper today on this understanding of what the real goal of relationships is because here's the statement. The goal of relationships is that we would do everything for the glory of God. We do everything, everything, yeah, everything. Do you know what the word in the Greek for everything means? Everything, that's it, that's what, that's what it, means. it means. It means everything. We do everything for the glory of God. You go back 400 years before Christ is in uh, the flesh on earth and the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, the word of God speaks through him to the culture and Isaiah writes it out like this. I will say to the north and south, this is God through Isaiah, I'll say to the north and south, bring my sons and daughters back from the distant corners of the earth. Now, let me just say something to you right there. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter how far you've drifted. You cannot go so far. You cannot sink so deep that the love and grace and mercy of Jesus will sink to that place and find you and bring you out. God says, say to the north and the south, Bring them back from the distant corners of the earth. You're living today and maybe you drag yourself by the fingernails into the kitchen to watch online or or, or you just thought that today's, you know, it's Palm Sunday, it's kind of Easter season, I'll go to church and I want you to know that there's no place that God doesn't see you. There's also no place that God doesn't see you and still love you. He still sees you. If Peter can, with determination and love, out of his own emotion, cut an ear off of a guy trying to take his Lord out of the Garden of Gethsemane, and then just a couple hours later, deny Jesus completely, and Jesus still see him, Jesus still sees you. And so Isaiah goes on to say, so bring all who claim me as their God for I have made them for my glory. They were made, designed, created for my glory. Everything is to bring glory to God. Apostle Paul says it in Romans. Everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended, not always does it go that way, but it is intended for his what? Glory. Come on, Nacido, Just come on, Lufkin, for what? There you go, Nacogdoches beat you last time. time. I'm just telling you, I heard them, they were loud. That's a joke, I really don't hear you, but in faith, I said. First Corinthians, Paul says it like this, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory. So we're made for his glory, we're intended for his glory, we are to do things for the glory. Jesus himself, At the Last Supper, hours before the Garden of Gethsemane, he's eating a last meal with his disciples, and John 14 through 17 records the conversation there, and Jesus begins to pray for them. But there's a section in John 17 that's titled Jesus prays for himself. If if you're anything like me, you pray for yourself. I pray for myself. I, when I was a kid, I would pray, Jesus, don't let my parents find out. I didn't understand the power of prayer and who Jesus was, right? <laughs> you know, He's like, mm, that's not the way it works, <laughs> okay? <laughs> then it's like, oh, Jesus, oh, help me, help me remember everything I studied for at the very last minute for that test, you know? Like Jesus becomes this, this uh, uh, get me out of jail free card, you know, um, but Jesus prays for himself. What does Jesus pray when he's praying to God for himself? Here's what he says, I have brought you glory on earth. Jesus brings you glory, brings God glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So if we're all to do everything for the glory of God, Jesus models that even as the son of God, he brings his father glory. So you know what, let let me show you a good prayer to pray about yourself and about your relationships. This is a good prayer. It's not the best prayer, but it's a good prayer. Here, here, here it is. God, we want you to bless this relationship. There's not a thing wrong with that prayer. It's a good one, but it's not the better one. God, we want you to bless this relationship can really come to the fact that maybe you are experiencing a lack or a pain or a block or a struggle or a frustration or just the desire things are good, you just want them to be gooder. You, you, they're good, you just want them to be greater. Like that. that's just where you are. God, we want you to bless this relationship. But also that can come because bless this relationship because if it's not blessed, this is gonna be a struggle and I don't wanna go through tough stuff. Bless our finances because I'd like to have more stuff. Bless our relationship, because I'm tired of fighting this battle ax. Bless this relationship, because I'm just like, I'm not getting a word in edgewise, and if she would just be a little bit more quiet, bless this relationship, give her laryngitis. (laughs) God, we want you to bless this relationship. It's a good prayer, it's not the best prayer. According to the word we've just read, this is a better prayer. God, we want this relationship to bless you. See, because what happens is, you see, see, what had happened is, you, you swap the center of the focus, that the focus isn't that the glory of God would have you be in a comfortable relationship, but that your relationship would be so surrendered, so humbled, so laid out in front of God, that the relationship would bless him that your relationship would bless those around you because they see Jesus through you. God, we want this relationship to bless you. That's the power of true focus on giving God glory, you being designed to bring God glory. So what is the goal of relationships? We do everything for the glory of God. But secondly, secondly, we live every day reflecting the glory of God. We live every day reflecting. When I run early in the morning, when I bike, whether it's in the middle of the day or not, even if I run in the middle of the day, I always wear a couple of real bright LED lights. Always wear those bright lights because as much as I think they see me, I also know they see the text that they're sending right now. So I'll put that light on early in the morning. And I'm running down the highway and I wanna make sure that, that, that it, I run you know, against the traffic so that, that if for some reason they don't see me, I have at least one and a half second to dive into the grass, okay? But I can see when I'm running all by myself that as I, as I wear that reflector and it's so bright that it can be 150 yards, 350 yards down the road, there's a tiny, tiny little stop sign, but as my light blinks brighter, that, that, that stop sign, the back of it is, is made of that reflective material, that metal, and I can see it reflect off of there. The closer I get, the stronger the reflection is. And I want you to know that we are to live every day reflecting the glory of God. Here's what I mean. Let's go a little deeper now into the glory. Second Corinthians, Paul says, now the Lord is the spirit. And this is a, this is a good churchy verse. Like if you've been in church, you've heard this. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is... Yeah, and there is, and you ought to take it to the bank. Stop living like you're not free, because you're free. He who the son sets free is free indeed, but many people are free, but they ain't living free. They ain't believing free. They ain't thinking free. They're thinking like an orphan. You're an adopted son and daughter of God, and yet you think like an orphan. God will never take me. God will never accept me. I will never have a family. And yet you're a son and daughter. You're adopted where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, not enslavement. And so he goes on to say, let, let, let me show you this. The spirit is like breath. The same root word, um, it, it means pneuma, pneuma. And when you get like that idea of a pneumatic drill, that's a drill that's driven by, by air, by, by air compression. And you get a pneuma, like a spirit, like a, there's power in this air, this breath of God, where, this, where the breath of God is, where the air of God is, where the the Yah, Yahweh, breath of God, ha, where the ha is, there's freedom. And I want you to know, in order to know where the ha is, you gotta get a little closer. Trust me, right now you're good. Front row, you're good, okay? You're good. You get a little closer and you get the ha of Jeremy, you may not be good. Altoids are my friend, okay? Preacher's got a microphone and a tin of Altoids everywhere he goes. Anyway, Spirit of the Lord is freedom. You don't have to live bound. And here's the next scripture. We know that one comfy. We know that one well, but here's the next one. And we all, or in East Texas, y'all, or in Arkansas, weans, ins ins I don't know what they say in Arkansas. And you who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory. Unveiled faces, this is the scripture for not having to wear masks anymore. Unveiled faces, see it's in the Bible right there. That's a joke, don't be writing me a letter, it's a joke. Here's what I mean. Unveiled faces, what does it mean? It means there's no block anymore. When Jesus died on the cross, not only did he pay for the sins of the world, but he, gained, he gave us access to God. In the temple, people could hang out in the main part of the temple. There was a special place, the Holy of Holies that was separated by a massively thick veil, as thick as a a DFW phone book. Massive. You did not go past that. That was a holy place. So much to the point where only one person could go into the Holy of Holies every year and offer the sacrifice. And Jewish narrative shows us that that priest or that prophet that they would allow to go into the back, they would tie a rope to their ankle so that they went back there. If they had like hidden sin or they had done something or they'd gone and watched a, a, a PG-13 movie or an rated movie the day before, they were gonna drop dead. That's a joke of old tradition. Anyway, moving on, they they would tie a rope and if that guy had hidden sin in his life and fell dead in the presence of God, they wouldn't just like go in and get Bart, they'd drag him out by the, by the rope. Why? Because they didn't wanna go in there and fall down dead too. You have a big old body pile up in there, and smell Well, you know, it's crazy. Nobody could ever get him out. So they just drag him out. That's what Jewish narrative shows us. Now, that veil as thick as a DFW phone book The moment Jesus dies, the Bible says that from the top to the bottom, couldn't be reached. From the top to the bottom, that veil ripped in two and symbolically showing us that we have access to God. And we all, we all, with unveiled faces, you and I have access to all that Jesus is. You can go right towards him. You don't have to let someone else go behind the veil for you. We all, with unveiled faces, we are to reflect the Lord's glory. And as we reflect like that LED light, the closer we get, the more it reflects. We are being transformed. You do not just come to a church, get saved, and you are arrived, full grown in God you never stay where you are. You you don't stay where you started and you don't finish where you are right now. You're continually being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. So there's more and more of his glory to be shown through your relationships day by day, the closer you get and the more you reflect and the more unveiled you live, the more ever increasing glory that the world should see and you should understand and you should see too. So if we're created for the glory, for to reflect the glory the question is what is the glory of god what is it and many people have relegated the glory of god to a real hot and happening church service where the worships so great that no pastor can not even preach where there's goosebumps Woo! like like where it's this environment where it's just man I, I felt the shakana glory and I heard the trumpet of the lord like like okay okay that's a That's a fun, energetic service, but you can have a lot of those and have no glory. Because the glory of God is not in our expressions. The glory of God is is simply this. It is the full weight of who God is. Let me share something with you that you you don't have to wait for a big, powerful worship service for you to feel the full weight of God. There are times where simply laying in bed at night and calming your thoughts, and beginning to say, Jesus, just reveal yourself more and more to me. And in solitude and quiet, he visits you and you begin to feel the weight of who he is. When my kids were smaller, one of the things they love to do, they don't like to do it as much anymore because they're, I don't like to do it as much anymore because they're bigger and they're, they're harder to do this with, but wrestle in the living room. They love to wrestle in the, let's wrestle. And so we get out there, we wrestle and they're jumping on me like Hulk Hogan. And then I'm pinning them this way and I'm counting one. Two, and they're, you know, Graham, he's like five years old. He's trying to pull his, his, his shoulder off the mat. And uh, two, and then, oh, he gets me and I fall down and he jumps on me like, oh, I didn't expect that one, you know, and, and he's got me pinned. And he's like, one, two. And I'm like, no, I can't, I can't. Three, and he wins. He's like, yeah. He didn't know it, but he wasn't getting my full weight was he? I was holding myself back. Now he's 12 years old, and and, uh, every once in a while, the other day he came in and said, Dad, can I punch you in the stomach as hard as I can? And I said, yes, if I can punch you in the stomach as hard as I can. And he goes, okay, no, no, no. Why? Because he knows, he knows he hasn't experienced the full weight of who his dad is. Your your words, you got to be careful with your words. Why? Because your words carry a lot of weight. We are, we are overcome with things that have to do with weight, measuring ourselves. I got to lose weight. Oh man, I got to gain weight. The other day in our bathroom, my wife stepped on the scale and behind her, I just went like that and I, pushed on it, and she went, oh my goodness. (laughs) She was feeling the whole way to who she was and who I was, and she didn't like it. (laughs) She's like, what in the world have I been eating, (laughs) you know? When we experience God and his glory, do you know why people don't go to church? A lot of them say it's because it's full of hypocrites, but they go to Walmart and they go to Home Depot and they go to family reunions, and all of those are full of hypocrites too. Here, here's why a lot of people don't go to church. Because when they see you and they see me, there's been times the last thing they've seen is the full weight of who God is. And they've seen the weight of our own stuff, the weight of our own frustrations, the, the weight of our own uh, short fuses, the weight of our own um, criticisms. But if we would show and declare and intend and be made for his glory and do everything for his glory, it is amazing what the world would see through the church. What's the glory, the full weight of God? So if we're to made intended for his glory, if we're to do his glory, if relationships are to bring him glory, if that glory is the full weight of who God is, what does that actually look like on a daily basis? What does that look like? Well, let's go one layer deeper. Are you with me so far? Okay, let me go one layer deeper on, now that we've talked about what glory is, why you're to bring him glory, what does it look like on a daily basis? Well, the book of of Revelation is written by John, who also wrote the Gospel of John. And he, because he was a follower of Jesus, when he wrote John, he was actually exiled to the Isle of Patmos, a little island, he's by himself, he's exiled, he's got nobody. it's just him, and he's got a volleyball. Wilson, and no, that's a, that's a movie, that's not John, that's not in Revelation. He, he gets a visitation from Jesus and he begins to write down feverishly all the different elements. And when you read Revelation, it is crazy all the depths of imagery and colors and vibrancy and what? And you got seas and you got blood and you got trumpets and you got bowls and you got angels and you got serpents and you got white horses and you got seven horses and you got apocalypse and you got, oh, it's crazy. But it's all little pictures revealing who he is and how he's coming and the depth of who he is and John is trying just to get it all and there's this moment where he sees inside the throne room where God is. And he begins to write. And see, his words don't make all the sense to English language or any language. It's because God transcends language. It's also part of why this idea of being immersed in the spirit beyond salvation where Jesus lives inside of you and in the day of Pentecost, there was this immersion, this baptism of the Holy Spirit and they spoke in different tongues. There was an actual language they were speaking then but then later on in the New Testament, one of the gifts of the spirit they were experiencing was like a heavenly, a prayer language and it was available to, to all believers and they were praying. Why would language even be a deal? Because God transcends language. Like there's not a single language that actually communicates the beauty and bigness of God other than God communicating himself. So what does it look like? This is like, in a, like a language that we're trying to understand. But he says in the center around the throne were four living creatures. And the first living creature was like a lion, and the second was like an ox. The third had the face like a man. These, these weren't lions and oxes and man, oh my. They were like a lion and like an ox and like a man. And the fourth creature was like, like, a, flying, like a flying eagle. Like this is crazy, the image of God. And we're supposed to, to look, look like this? Okay, that's interesting. Before John, though, several hundred years earlier in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel has a vision as well. Watch what Ezekiel says hundreds of years earlier. The heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Beyond, beyond the throne room, Ezekiel's saying, this is visions of, 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 of God. God is, How do you see God? Do you see him like, like Santa Claus without the red suit? Do you see him like some vague electrical force field? Do you, do you see him like Charlton Heston? Do you see him like Morgan Freeman? How do you see God? And Ezekiel says, I saw visions of God and it's so multifaceted. Here's what I saw. That like like the, the, their faces... Okay, I saw these heavenly things and these faces looked like this. Each of the four, so each creature had four different faces. I know this is crazy. You're like, did I come to church or are we reading the Lord of the Rings around here? Is this the Chronicles of Nineveh? Like, like this is, this is crazy. Chronicles of Nineveh. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> For those of you that don't get it, whatever. C.S. Lewis, Narnia. Okay, moving on. Each of the four had the face of. So this is one creature with four faces. All right, some of you, that's like that's your friend Tracy in high school. She she was so, you know, double faced. They had the face of a human being, and on the right side, each had the face of a lion, and on the left, the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. Now you say, Jeremy, okay, that's okay, that's interesting but how do you say that that is the glory of God? What does the glory of God look like? That just sounds like stuff. How, How do you get that that is the glory of God? Well, the very next scripture says it like this. This was the appearance of the likeness of the what? Glory of the Lord. This was the best we can describe the supernatural existence of a holy God, creator of the cosmos. He's like an ox, but he's not just like an ox. He's like an eagle, but he isn't just an eagle. He's like a man, but he's way beyond a man. He's like a lion, but man, is just like, oh, it's big. And then Jesus fulfills all this. He is glory in the flesh. And it's interesting that there are four gospels about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what is so compelling, God knows exactly what he's doing, that in each one of these gospels we see highlighted one of these faces in Jesus. It's like he knew what he was doing since before the foundations of the earth were formed. And you and I are to reflect, the more you spend time, the more you reflect. Cody, run up here real quick. Fast, that's not quick, come on, man. Cody have been, and I have been on staff for a couple years together. Um, <laughs> we did not, uh, we didn't plan to dress this way. <laughs> Cody, um, he exhibits more emotion in worship for sure, but most every day in staff, show him your emotion face. That's his emotion face right there. And this, this is his fun face. This is his asking questions face. This is his, I feel the anointing of the spirit all over this right now face. Like that's his face. And what's crazy is we are getting so many people online and people that don't know us like at Starbucks, they'll say, hey, your brother just went through here. We have no relation. But people have asked. Uh, just just a, a mom of one of our dream teamers was saying, I, I saw Facebook, you may be friends with this. I thought that was Jeremy. It was Cody. Janet went up to Cody the other day and said, hey babe. Oh, never mind. <laughs> like, I'm like, what were you gonna ask him? You know? Pinched him on the butt. No, he, she didn't do that. She didn't do that to me either. <laughs> so okay, go on, thank you. Give it up for Cody, my twin. <laughs> Uh, what's so funny though, the more that we're around each other, we pick up some habits or we talk, but that's like with anybody. The more you're with your spouse, the more you, you may think what they think. You may even start looking like each other, who knows? That is a sad thing for Janet. But, but what I'm saying to you is, the gospels reflect Jesus in different ways. So the rest of the time we have, don't got a lot of time, Let me give you these four faces and what they mean for you and me and how we reflect these faces. The first face is the ox. An ox pulls some weight. The ox is used to plow the field. The ox is is not um, an animal that you show off at uh, the ox show like you have a dog show. The ox is is something that works for service and labors hard and has got strong shoulders. The ox is also... In the Bible, representative of sacrifice, the ox would be sacrificed to cover sin. When Elijah calls Elisha to follow him as a protege, Elisha, before he can follow, he breaks down his plowing equipment and he kills the oxen and he lays it on the field on the on the plowing equipment and sacrifices the ox. There's something powerful about the ox in the Bible. And part of who God is, is like the ox. And here's what's crazy. It's the face of a servant that pulls weight that you cannot pull, that gives blood that covers your sin. We see the face of a servant best through all the gospels, but in particular, in the book of Mark. Do you know that every gospel starts with a genealogy This person begat, this person begat, this person. It's all ancestry.com right there at the front of Matthew, Luke, and John. But Mark has no genealogy, why? Because the intention of Mark is to not show the pedigree of Jesus because nobody cares about a slave's pedigree. Nobody cares about the pedigree of a servant. And Mark is showing us that he is the ultimate servant. The apostle Paul says it like this, Taking on the feeling of an ox, he says, I'm free and belong to no man. I still though make myself a slave to everyone, not for them to take advantage of me, but to win as many as possible. Our dream teams around Timber Creek Church, they're not just there doing something because we need to do it, they're doing something because they're reflecting the glory of God when they serve. Dream teams, we were gonna either call them dream teams or oxes, and so we went with dream teams but it's the face of a servant. There's something powerful. John Maxwell says it like this. People may hear your words, but they feel your attitude. What does your attitude reflect and what do people feel with your attitude? An attitude of expectation and entitlement for them to do something for you or for you to be a servant. One of our culture values for our staff and for our dream teams is unusual servanthood. We ought to shock people with our servanthood. You know, what it's like when someone goes the extra mile to help you out, when you stay at a La Quinta or you stay at a nicer hotel and they bring you, there's something special about that service. They think extra about it. You show up after a night on the cruise and the towel is like a swan. That's like, it's a towel but there's something special about going that fifth mile, that extra mile, that, that unusual servanthood. You and I can be outspoken. And when we are outspoken all the time, you'll lose your voice. People won't listen to you. They will tune you out. You can be outlandish and be so crazy that people, you'll lose your respect with people. You can be out of touch and you lose your credibility with people. Shoot, you can be out of line and lose your respect with people and lose your friendships when you're out of line. Or you know what you can do? You can out serve and there's no rule against that. You've got everything to gain when you outserve. Well, what if I get taken advantage of? The Bible doesn't promise that you will never be taken advantage of. But it does promise when you step out and serve, there are blessings in store for you that aren't in store for anybody else. When they feed the 5,000, everybody on the hilltop that wasn't a dream team, they got a meal. They got a meal. On Sunday, I want you to know, when you come, we're going to get you a meal. It's the bread of life. It's not the bread of Jeremy. It's the bread of life offered to you. We want to feed you at Timber Creek. It's a meal. You're not designed to live on one meal a week. You got to feed yourself, too, throughout the week. Okay, But let me tell you this. Those that come and serve, actually they bring home basketfuls, they might not even know. But when you serve, you're like the disciples who fed the the 5,000, they took home basketfuls because they served, because they were faithful. I'll serve people. This could be the number one rule of every relationship and every marriage, and I'm telling you, it would fix so many things, it would probably fix 99% of the issues, I'll serve. Be the first one to, to clean out the dishwasher. Be the first one to think about them more than you think of yourself. Outserve, 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 outserve. Now don't outserve them in ways that, that are not really serving them. You know, hey, I, I, I mowed this lawn again, and you don't even care. But, they've, but, but actually they asked just to spend time with you. So outserve them by, instead of them coming up with the date night every single time or, or whatever, every seven months, you come up with it, outserve them, be ready. Open the door, shut the door. Think about things, just unusual servanthood. Okay, that's the ox. Number two, the man. And the man is a face of love. Why is it the face of love? Because God shows us that he loves us just, just as we are. And so much does he love us that he doesn't want us to stay as we are. And he represents this through the gospel of Luke. And Luke has the most parables, the most stories of, of, of working with one another. The face of the man is the face of love. And Luke is showing us the, the, the divinity and yet the humanity. Luke doesn't give us just a bunch of doctrine. He he gives us a bunch of stories and it's this relationship with Jesus that's a loving relationship. He dives down deeper with the relationship between uh, between Jesus and Peter and Jesus and the disciples and he shows us this depth of love. In one of the other gospels in John, uh, Jesus says it like this. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Now, everybody leans forward because it's new. Oh, I'm gonna write this down. It's a new commandment. But the commandment he's about to give them isn't new. It was written a thousand years earlier. Is Jesus a liar? No, he's telling the absolute truth because they were following all the commands as much as possible of do this and do that. Keep your nose clean and walk a straight line and make sure you don't do this on the Sabbath and make sure you don't eat that and make sure you don't do this. And he says, here's a new command I give you. Well, what's a new command? It was an old command, but they weren't following it. That's what made it new. What made it new is they weren't following this commandment. And here it was very simple. He says, here's the new commandment, love each other. Love each other. Have the face of love, that's what God is. So many people have only been shown a face of judgment and God's mad at you and that is not the full bodied, even close to what God's face looks like when he looks at you. He's holy, he detests sin, It's why he loved you so much, he would give the most valuable treasure in heaven to pay for that sin. So how do you love each other? How do you show that in a practical handlebar kind of way? When it comes to your family and your children and your spouse and your relationships, see people as they could be. Some of you, all you see is what you see and what you see is what you get, but you've gotta see people as they could be. Do you know that's why we discipline our children is not because God's mad at them or I'm gonna give you something to cry about. It's because you see them as they could be. And if you don't course correct them where they are, they may be stealing the cookies now out of the cookie jar. If you don't correct them, you're gonna be like, they're gonna be you know, stealing the truck out of the parking lot. So you see as they could be, not as they are. You say then what you see. Say what you see. Speak to their potential, not their problems. I tend to rise to the expectations of people. So if my wife has low expectations, I tend to rise down to that level. If she has high expectations, I I wanna rise to that. How many of you, just in a moment of honesty, um, you would say that probably growing up um, in your home, maybe you didn't, maybe your potential wasn't spoken to, but it was more your problems, or frankly, like it was more, you, you, I'm gonna tell you if you do something wrong, not so much if you do something right, or maybe you didn't have very many potential strong, encouraging words spoken to you by, by a mom or a dad. Anybody in this room feel that way? Yeah, keep, keep them up, keep them up. Yeah. I'm going off script, Nacogdoches, so camera follow me over here. Um, Rob, stand up. we've served alongside each other. You've been a deacon for many of the years I've been on this staff and you've raised five boys. In fact, one of them's calling you right now, <laughs> but we're not going to, we're going to ignore that call. Um, I know your boys ain't perfect cause you're not perfect and I'm not perfect and nobody's ever raised perfect kids, right? Um, even God himself had two kids that weren't perfect. But i tell you what I have seen in you is, is a love for your family, a love for me. You're an encourager. There's not a single person, maybe besides my wife, that has sent me more encouraging texts. So even though you didn't grow up with that, you reflect the glory of God when you encourage and love. And thank you. Thank you. That means a lot to me. I love you. Thanks, Jared. Um, you are showing the love of Jesus through your worship being a part of the worship team reflecting the glory of God and I saw you raise your hand and maybe there weren't some things that you wish people would have said but I want you to know Jesus loves you Jana and I love you We're excited about what God's going to do next in your life. So thankful that you're part of Timber Creek. Love you. I wish I had the time. (laughs) Nacogdoches. Um, I wish I could go through the video like Jesus walks through the wall. Um, But I don't have to because Jesus is already there and you don't need Jeremy to go through the video. Jesus places a hand on your shoulder. Jesus looks at you in the eye and everybody else in this room. And he says to you, I see you as you are and I love you. I see you, the potential in you. And I've spoken to the problems in your life already. I've already spoken to the problems. I nailed them to the tree. So don't live in the past is that's your future. See me and hear me. Jesus says to you, see me and hear me and know that I'm gonna serve you well, but you've gotta trust me. You've gotta listen to my words more than you've listened to the lies of everybody else. Okay. Can we finish up? Everybody okay? Let's finish now. The eagle. The eagle, do you know that there was talk before the eagle was adopted as our national, like symbol of the national animal or whatever? It was gonna be the turkey. (laughs) It's like, yeah, go America, gobble, gobble. Like, you know, I'd rather have, ah! Like, you know, flying eagles versus, you know, trotting turkeys, let's go, (laughs) what, (laughs) you know. And we're eating the turkey every Thanksgiving. This is like, this is weird. But the eagle, there's something about that bald eagle, everybody, and and it's really, it's a face of excellence and respect. I don't know, it's gotta be that eyebrow. That's why some of you ladies spending that money on that eyebrow. It's like, you better respect (laughs) excellence, right? It's a face of excellence and respect. Have you ever seen a bald eagle in real life? Um, Just majestic. Right, and, and uh, we don't have very many of those in East Texas, although I have seen some pictures online of some friends that live at Sam Rayburn that have seen some bald eagles in their backyard. But, you know, we don't have bald eagles, but we have love bugs. So, you know, it's like, ah. Here's something hilarious. We are reaching such a larger audience these days that someone on the online campus in first service, and maybe even somebody watching now, they asked this question. What are love bugs? They sound cute. We just stopped the service and just prayed for them right there. Isn't that hilarious? The eagle is a face of excellence and respect. This is in the book of Matthew. Matthew is writing to the Jewish audience and his genealogy is all to show that he is the Messiah, the anointed one. Messiah is the Hebrew word that means anointed. Uh, Christ, Jesus Christ. Christ is the Greek word that means the anointed one. So when we say Jesus Christ, it's not like Joseph's last name was Christ, like Joseph and Mary Christ. It was Jesus Christ, Jesus the anointed one. And the book of Matthew is meticulous about showing Remember how scripture said the Messiah would look like this? This is what the Messiah did. Remember how it the, said the Messiah would come like this? This is how Jesus came. Remember what the, 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 the Scriptures say about this? And so it was meticulous. Later on in Matthew, Jesus himself would say, hey, you, you show excellence and respect this way. He says, you're the salt of the earth. Salt penetrates, salt preserves, salt purifies. Salt was a, a commodity, not a utility back then. People would be paid in salt, same word for salary, salt and salary, same, same root words. Salt had a very special community benefit. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? No, you can't. In fact, it's basically just becomes a, a cheap rock. It will be thrown out and trampled under, underfoot and worthless. You're also like the light of the world. You're sitting on a hilltop that can't be hidden, but no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. It's not what you do, Jesus says. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, you ought to be a lamp on a stand. You ought to be a light in the world. You ought to be salt in the earth. In the same way, here's what he says. Let your good deeds. Everybody say good deeds. deeds. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Notice that it doesn't say let your good deeds shine out so that that gets you saved and into heaven because nobody works for their salvation. You don't earn your salvation, it's a gift. So you don't your goo your good deeds so Jesus will see you in heaven and say, well, you fed 17 hungry people in your lifetime. No, you do good deeds, why? So that you can reflect the glory of God in an excellent, wonderful, beautiful way. You're like an eagle. We may have love bugs here. In Alaska, bald eagles are everywhere. Was on an Alaskan cruise, took an excursion, was on a boat, was gonna go on a fishing excursion, spent a lot of money for a fishing excursion, caught one little fish this size. They killed it for us and it made like six ounces of some kind of dip that we made. Like it was the most expensive thing I've ever eaten, okay? (laughs) But right next to the boat, as we were getting on the boat, there was a tree full of bald eagles. And when the guy started up the motor, those eagles kind of, they just like went off of that tree, six or seven of them. And they flapped a couple times and then just. And it was majestic. I just was watching in amazement. The guy from Alaska, he just seen it every day. I, I didn't see, I don't see things like that every day. And I was like, My country is of the. <laughs> As you get out there with excellence, like we want to do things with excellence around here. Excellence honors God. Excellence honors God. So we want to do things here with excellence. And when we don't, See excellence, we wanna strive to be as excellent as possible. That isn't a comparison to another church in town. It's not a comparison to another church in a different country or county. It's simply, we do our very best and then we, we measure it and say, can we do better? And you look at life and the respect and excellence you give one another to serve each other with excellence, to love each other with excellence. It's, it shows this beautiful side of, of Jesus. The apostle Paul said, look, people are watching, people are watching. And as we stay out at our posts, alertly, unswervingly, when they're watching us in hard times and tough times and bad times when we're beaten up, jailed and mobbed. So in the bad stuff where you're feeling the weight of life, not the weight of who he is, Working hard, working late, working hard for that money, working without eating, work with pure heart, clear head, steady hand and gentleness, holiness, and honest love. When we're doing our best, setting things right, and when we're praised, and when we're blamed. So it's easy to reflect the glory of God in servanthood when people are praising you, but what about when you're blamed for things you didn't do? Can you still reflect the glory of God? When we're blamed, slandered, and honored, true to our word, though distrusted. I did that. You can trust me. And people don't trust you. Ignored by the world, but recognized by God, terrifically alive, though rumored to be dead, beaten within an inch of our lives, but refusing to die, immersed in tears, yet always filled with deep joy. Living on handouts, yet enriching many. Having nothing, yet having it all. Paul experienced all of that, he's not just writing a cute poem. That's his life story. I mean, what do you do with a mindset like that? What, do you, what can you do to a guy like that? Can I tell you what you do to a guy like that? Nothing, nothing, because he's reflecting the full weight of who God is. Finally, we've got the man, we've got the eagle, we've got the ox, number four, we've got the lion. And the lion is a face of boldness. And you see this in the gospel of John. Why do you see this boldness in the gospel of John? Because of the genealogy in John. Now, Matthew starts with this person begat, this person begat, this person. Luke, same thing. Mark doesn't have a genealogy because it's about a servant and who needs the pedigree of a servant. John, a lot of people think, whoa, 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 no, 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 John doesn't have a genealogy. Oh, but he does and it way, it way pushes past humanity. Here's what his genealogy in John sounds like. It's a bold genealogy. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh. That's all the genealogy you need to know. The boldness of those words are that God completes everything through his son. The, the word spoken is encapsulated, fulfilled, and when you know, if you know Jesus, you can understand he's the word. If you follow after Jesus, if you love Jesus, if you chase after his conviction, character and conduct, that's what's most important. He models the word of God in the flesh. And that's why we wanna become Christ-like, ever reflecting, ever increasing the glory of God. Bible says in Proverbs, the wicked run away when no one's chasing them. That's like me and my brother when my mom would say, wait till your dad gets home and we would hide in the closet. The wicked run away. (laughs) But the godly are bold as lions. They stand strong, bold in their beliefs, bold in their actions, bold in their love, bold in their surrender, bold in their sacrifice. But can I tell you what the greatest boldness would look like for you and for me? The author of Hebrews says it. Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Every single week I've been saying, if you're stacked with enough humility, you can learn from anyone at any time about anything. Got to have a sweet prayer with a friend who lost her husband to COVID a few months ago. Coming back to church after a few months of that, Um, we're in a relationship series and it's tough. She says, I don't feel very bold. I don't feel very bold. But what I would say to her and what I would say to you is, we don't need to feel bold in facing the giants of life. We need to feel boldness to approach the throne of grace because we don't have the strength and we need the mercy we need him to be who he is because if I'm just reflecting my strength and my glory that doesn't reflect very far and it's not something you want to reflect those that reflect the glory of God you can come to him with boldness where you have fallen short of his servanthood you've fallen short of love you've fallen short of that respect and excellence he will give you the boldness to approach Him to get exactly what you need because He has exactly what you need and He is exactly who you need. And that glory, when they observed that boldness in Peter and John, the people around them, when they, when they observed that boldness, they realized that those, Peter and John, they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed at what they saw when they saw the boldness. Do you know the word used for uneducated and untrained men is idiote? Can you guess what that means? They saw him as idiots. Peter and John just as idiots. But then when they saw them and their boldness, they said, whoa, they were amazed. And here's what happened. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. So if you're gonna reflect the glory, if you're gonna do the number one goal to truly win in your relationships, the more you're with Jesus, the more you will become like Him. And you will reflect the glory of God too. The glory of His knowledge that makes the Library of Congress look like a tiny little matchbox. The glory of His wisdom that has never been and can never be matched by you and by me. The glory of His authority without whose permission no man and even no demon can move one single inch without His authority allowing us to move. The glory of His power to still storms with a word. The power, the glory of His purity that He would never sin or have a two-second bad attitude or even one single inch evil thought. He's pure because you're not pure, and I'm not pure, but because he's pure, and I want to reflect his purity, because I can't reflect all my purity because I haven't been very pure, but he is pure through and through, and although your sin be like scarlet, he can make you white as snow. The glory of his trustworthiness never to break his word or let one promise fall to the ground. But dad, you said you would do it. You said you would make it. I know, son, but I got to busy. I know, but I can't do that right now. Or I know I said that and I messed up and I'm sorry. But his trustworthiness, he's never had to go back on a promise. He'll never go back on a promise. The glory of his patience to endure your sin and my sin decade after decade. When I've asked him 17 times, oh God, I can't believe I did that again. Please forgive me. He's patient with you. And he's patient with your pastor. And he's patient with your kids. In the glory of his obedience to to willingly embrace the excruciating pain of the cross and the glory of his grace that saves us and the glory of his love that dies for you and for me while we were still sinners. Can you stand to your feet right now at all locations and can you give glory to God? Can you honor him for who he is? Give him glory, give him praise, Lift your hands, lift your voice. God, you're bigger than my problems. You're stronger than my circumstances. You are holy, you are powerful, you're mighty. You see everything, you know everything. You love me as I am, not as I should be, and you're good, and your mercy endures forever, and ever, and ever, and your faithfulness is great, and your face is a face of love, and you're kinda like an eagle, and we respect you, and you're an excellent God, but you're also like, you're like a lion, and you're bold, and you're strong, and you're mighty, and God, you were like a man, and you got on our level, and you understand us, and you relate to us and you're like an ox and you take the whole world and you serve us by shedding your blood. Oh, glory, glory, glory be to God. And the Bible says, those faces reflect the glory when they're unveiled. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, at all of our locations and those of you watching in your kitchen, at your computer. All of us have a veil, it's the veil of our sin. Some of you are wearing the veil of shame, regret, disappointment. When it comes to your relationships in your heart and outside in life, It's complicated. But Jesus wants to remove the veil. And it's not about you and another human. It's about you and this glorious God. And so right now, I'm inviting you that if you need to invite Jesus to remove the veil of sin in your life, to be your Lord and Savior, you'd simply say it like this, Jesus, I surrender to you I believe you are who you say you are help me become more like you so that my life and my relationships would show people who you are and would you start with me with eyes closed and heads still bowed if you're here and there's a a reflection of who god is that you know, when I when you look at your life and I look at mine, you're coming up short. Whether it's excellence or love or servanthood, and I invite you that, that you would just reach a hand to heaven and say, Jesus, thank you for not leaving me here by myself, but God, I embrace, I receive, I stretch my hand out and I touch your hand and I know that you will guide me. I know you will help me. I want to become more like you. In all of my faults, in all my circumstances, in all my imperfections, I put my trust in you. Thank you, Jesus. May I become more and more like you and show your glory to the world. And Everybody everywhere said amen.